You are listening to an Elam Christian Center podcast. We hope that you are inspired, encouraged, and empowered by the message you are about to hear. Well, fantastic. Good morning, everybody. It's a real privilege to be able to bring the word this morning. Uh, so wonderful that we can travel as a family, come together and do that. Um, this morning, I want to share a message that I've called Where Miracles Meet where miracles meet. And this message is for anybody who is waiting on a miracle. Anyone waiting on a miracle, waiting for something to take place? Maybe those that have gone through the journey of waiting for a miracle. I really believe that we don't do our miracles in isolation. And we're going to see that through the Word of God this morning. Uh, A special part of our morning also is we're going to celebrate communion together. If you're online and you're in your home, I'd encourage you to grab some juice, uh, cracker and bread. Uh, We're going to have an amazing time of communion uh, just at the close of my message. But this morning we're going to look at two miracles in the Gospel of Luke. We're going to see that these miracles actually connected. They collided in the middle of Israel's history. We're going to read from the book of Luke uh, this morning. So uh, let's read from Luke chapter 8, verse 40 to 56. Everyone had been waiting for Jesus. Come on, there's somebody waiting for Jesus, waiting for Jesus to move. Everybody had been waiting for Jesus. And when he came back, a crowd was there to welcome him. Just then the man in charge of the synagogue came and knelt down in front of Jesus. His name was Jairus, and he begged Jesus to come to his home because his 12-year-old child was dying. She was his only daughter. While Jesus was on his way, people were crowding all around him. And the crowd was a woman woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. She had spent everything she had on doctors, but none of them could make her well. As soon as she came up behind Jesus and barely touched his clothes, her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Well, everyone was denying it. Peter said, Master, people are crowding all around and pushing you from every side. Of course somebody's touched you. But Jesus answered, no, someone touched me because I felt power going out of me. The woman knew that she could not hide, so she came trembling and knelt down in front of Jesus. She told everyone why she had touched him and that she had been healed at once. Jesus said to the woman, you are now well because of your faith. May God give you peace. While Jesus was speaking, someone came from Jairus' home and said, Your daughter has died. Why bother the teacher anymore? When Jesus heard this, he told Jairus, Don't worry, have faith, and your daughter will get well. Jesus went into the house, but he did not let anyone else go with him except Peter, John, James, and the girl's father and mother. Everyone was crying and weeping for the girl. But Jesus said, The child isn't dead, she is just asleep. The people laughed at him because they knew she was dead. Jesus took hold of the girl's hand and said, child, get up. She came back to life and got right up. Jesus told them to give her something to eat. He's very practical, right? Her parents were surprised, but Jesus ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Would you pray with me this morning as we look at this passage of Scripture together? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that the miracles still take place today. And Lord, as we celebrate, as we remember, as we look back on this miracle, these miracles that took place, God, would you remind us that you are working a miracle in our lives, that we would have faith to believe, that we would press in, we would have faith for that miracle that we are believing for ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever heard the phrase, uh, oh, children should be seen and not heard? Now, when we were raising children, Uh, and we still are raising children, Uh, there were moments when everything would go quiet in the house. 
But those weren't moments that were silence is golden, that was silence is suspicious, right? Can I get a, an amen for that one, right? There was one particular moment uh, that one of my unnamed children, they are named, but I won't name them this morning, um, they managed to empty the entire contents of their nappy all over a glory box that Amy had been given for her 21st birthday. Like, just smeared the whole thing. Like, an impressive effort. We found it, cleaned it up, it's all good. It was just one of those moments you go, no, and then you just kind of just do what you got to do to clean it up. The, the, the flip side of this is it got cleaned up, and guess who's going to inherit a family heirloom for their 21st birthday <laughs> with an amazing story? Come on. <laughs> But you know, when Jesus arrived on the scene, it wasn't just children that weren't to be seen. It was also women. Women were not accepted in the same way that men were in society. He arrived into a culture where women were considered less than equal. I saw a study that only half the women in the Bible were even named, and that the grand total of words they spoke in the Bible that were recorded were 14,056 words between them. Now, that's the amount of words my daughter uses between 8.30 and 9 o'clock at night when we're trying to get her into bed, right? In fact, some women even used to pray, praise God, I was not born a woman. Jesus lived in a religious setting where women were excluded from synagogue worship, restricted to a spectator role. They weren't even allowed to go beyond the court of women into the temple. A woman was even instructed not to touch the scripture lest she defile it. How horrific was that? And that's what Jesus walked into. That was the culture that Jesus walked into. Yet Jesus, he was woke. You want to know the true understanding of the word woke is to tackle injustice, to tackle things that were wrong in society. Jesus went after that. He said, this isn't right. It was Jesus who sat at a well with a woman who he shouldn't have been speaking to, the disciples were horrified that Jesus was there speaking to a woman. It's like, what are you doing? And yet it was this woman that Jesus announced to the world, I am the Messiah. I'm the one right here. It was the woman that saw Jesus when he was resurrected to life. Jesus was a champion of women. When the disciples shooed the children away, Jesus is busy. The master is busy. Don't bother him. Jesus says, no, no, no. Let the children come to me because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was a champion of women. Jesus was a champion of children. Jesus measured men, women, and children, not based on their age or or their gender, but on the value of the character of their heart. And here we have a nation that is watching on in interest as Jesus heals a woman and a child. The first thing I notice when I read this passage is that Jesus is always on time for his miracles. Notice my phrasing, his miracle. Because if we remember that it's his miracle, meaning that he gets glorified, it takes the pressure off us trying to make the miracle happen. Come on, I am guilty of pushing God's hand, right? trying to move God to say, come on, you've got to do this for me. But what if the wait is a part of the process? What if the trial, the suffering, the challenge, what if that is a part of what God is wanting to do in my life as well? When I can accept that it's His miracle and not mine, then I can accept that there's pain, that there's trial, 
He's waiting because His timing is perfect. And I, I just believe if you're waiting for a miracle and there's pain in the waiting, just would you trust God with the timing? Have you noticed Jesus never seemed to be in a hurry? He was never rushing anywhere. He'd just, he'd just walk and things would happen around him. Finds out that his, his best mate Lazarus is, is sick. Now, a good friend would rush to his side, right? Not Jesus. No, he, he, he needed Lazarus to die. <laughs> In fact, he waited another three days before going, and by that stage, Lazarus was well dead. But you know, Lazarus had to be three days dead, like real, real dead. You know, there's dead, but then there's, there's real dead, like legal dead. In, in the Old Testament, you had to be three days dead to be dead. I mean, most doctors can proclaim a death, they're dead. But no, in the, in the Jewish law, it had to be three days dead. Why did Jesus need that to take place? Because he wanted to prove beyond any doubt that his miracle was real and that Lazarus was raised to life. Jesus' timing is perfect. The challenge is when we're waiting for our miracle is that we can get angry, we can get frustrated, we can even get bitter and even offended at God. But what we see in this story is that both of these miracles, they take place exactly when Jesus needed them to take place. And we see it happen probably within the space of a, a, an hour or two. But these miracles actually took 12 years to get to this point of taking place. One was a 12-year journey of waiting, believing, hoping that she would get healed from this issue of blood. This other child, 12 years old, was not expecting to die, probably a couple of days earlier. And yet here she was needing a miracle at the same time this woman needed her miracle. And the telling of the story is intriguing because it, it involves the number 12. Now, in Bible numerics, when you look at the numbers in, in the Hebrew language, you notice that these numbers mean something. Now, why is it that God allowed this detail to be included in the, in the gospel, that she'd been waiting 12 years for a miracle? It could have just been a woman who had an issue of blood, was waiting for her miracle, but, but no, it was listed as 12 years. Why was the girl age, why, why was her age proclaimed as 12 years old? Because the number 12 speaks of completeness an organizational structure. The nation of Israel was, was, was founded on that organizational structure, the 12 tribes of Israel. It spoke of a completeness of government. So why the number 12? As the nation of Israel are watching Jesus, the way he behaves, the way he treats people, the way he tackles the problems in society, did Jesus choose the number 12 to say, you know what? women and children have not been treated the way they should be. And our nation of Israel is not complete until women and children are given the same value as a man. So 12 years apart, 12 years waiting to complete the nation of Israel to say the value of a person, whether they are male, female, young or old, Jesus was establishing every person has value. What an amazing story that 12 years apart, God would bring those together. The girl had to die and they'd be resurrected to life. This woman had to suffer for 12 years in order for her miracle to take place. Now, maybe you're like me. You're the fan of the miracles that happen instantly. You know, I need this miracle. I need, I need $1,000 and boom, there it is in your bank account, right? 
Those are good miracles. If somebody's, somebody's sick and you pray for them and they're healed immediately, I've been a part of those miracles. It's so good, so awesome. But I've also been part of miracles that have taken years to play out. What if we can trust God for the timing of His miracle as well? I remember we were crying out to God, Amy and I, for our, our journey to have children. And it was hard. We desperately wanted. We thought we'd have kids like everybody else would in the normal way. And, and we tried and we couldn't. And, and, and I had to surrender that to God. We were here as kids pastors. And we, and we got to see hundreds of kids every single Sunday, but we couldn't take them home ourselves. That would be illegal. <laughs> but we desperately wanted kids for ourselves and we couldn't. And so I remember crying out to God and coming to this place of surrender, saying, God, if we never have kids, it's okay. I'll serve you. I'll follow you. And you know what happened next? Nothing. Like not a single thing. But actually something did happen. I made a decision that while we were waiting, I would worship. That I would praise through the pain. Through the difficult moments when it was hard, I would say, God, you're in this. And we began to speak about it and share about our infertility, not knowing whether or not we would see a miracle ourselves. Jesus' timing is perfect. In the middle of our personal struggle, we decided to lift up worship, to lift up praise. The second thing we see in this passage is that our faith moves the hand of God. Did these women know each other? We don't know for certain. Unlikely. But on that day, after 12 years of waiting, this woman had had enough. She'd exhausted all of her money on doctors. she tried everything she could. She could not get well. And so she did something that in society was unacceptable. She went out in public and she went and touched somebody, making that person unclean. Unacceptable. Totally unacceptable. And yet there was a desperation in her that says, if I can just touch him, if I can just get a hold of his, the edge of his cloak, I'm going to get my miracle. See, our faith and our action can move the heart of God. What is it that you're believing for? Maybe God is asking you to wait, but maybe he's asking you to step. Maybe he's asking you to press through again, push through the crowd and believe again for that miracle. When our faith and our action moves the heart of God, we then carry with us a story, a testimony. I love this in verse 47 of this passage. She told everyone why she had touched him and that she had been healed at once. It's like, let me tell you what happened, everybody. I was sick. I touched him. I got my miracle. She gave her testimony, and this is so important. When God does a miracle, when he does his miracle in our lives, we've got to tell our story. We've got to share the goodness of God. We've got to share His faithfulness. We've got to share the miraculous power of God. Revelation 12, 11 says, They overcame Him, the enemy, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. And do not love our lives so much as to shrink back from death. She didn't care. And she pressed in. She believed. And she got a miracle. I love the fact that Jesus saw the faith of this woman. She broke all protocol. And he loved it. And he healed her. While we were waiting for kids, believing for kids, Amy attended a women's conference. And the, the preacher was sharing and, and saying, if, if you're believing for a breakthrough in the area of fertility, if you're believing for kids, would you come forward? I want to pray for you. So Amy came forward, but 
<laughs> she didn't come forward in the normal way. You know, most people would come forward and stand down the front. She ran on stage. I mean, ro- you broke all service protocol. Now, if, if anyone knows Amy, she doesn't break service protocol. Amy's a rule keeper. But in that moment, the faith that she had in her heart was, I'm going to get my miracle. I'm going to press through. I'm going to go get it. This woman prophesied over her. You're going to have children, but not the normal way. Something in her that moved the heart of God. Come on, sometimes our faith, we are in the process of waiting for our miracle and God's timing. But don't hold back. Don't hold back when God is also asking us to step. I'd also say if you've been waiting, if you've been, been, been waiting for that promise and it hasn't happened yet, don't get bitter. Maybe you even need to ask God to forgive you for, for, for holding back too much. That You've actually restricted yourself from relationship with others. You've closed yourself off because it's hurt too much. And that's okay for your safety. We have to do that sometimes. But maybe God's asking you to open up again and build those relationships again and trust again. That God would do that work in our lives as well. Lastly, as the team come this morning, we see this in the story that my miracle sometimes connects with yours. My miracle sometimes connects with yours. You're believing for a miracle. I'm believing for a miracle. Sometimes our our miracles collide in the middle. Why? Because we're built for community. Friends, we're built for community. That's why we emphasize small groups. That's why it's so important that you gather. We gather in this big place and it's awesome and all the gifts together and the, the, the magnitude of worship in this place is amazing. But it's not enough. It has to be in small groups as well. There's moments where we get to pray together, encourage one another, exercise the gifts of, 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 of prophecy and words of knowledge and just speaking life over one another. We do life together. And when we do life together, guess what? Our miracles meet in the middle. What God is wanting to do in my life might be the very thing that God is wanting to do in your life too. When we share our story of breakthrough, it's not just a story for myself, it's a story for others as well. And these two women, this young girl, 12 years old, and this woman, they may not have even known each other. They might have bumped into each other in the marketplace. Who knows? But this story connected in the middle. For God to be glorified, there needed to be a wait, a declaration that the nation of Israel would be complete when men, women, and children were honored and valued. But we see this right throughout Scripture, the waiting for the promise, Abraham and Sarah waiting for their promise. We look at Mary, who was too young to have a child, and then Elizabeth, the cousin who was too old to have a child. And yet their miracles had to meet in the middle so that months apart, John would proclaim the coming of Christ. That Samuel came at just the right time as Hannah was waiting for her child. Samuel arrives to speak into the nation of Israel at just the right time. Friends, my miracle might be waiting for yours. Your miracle might be waiting for mine. And we don't always know why but we have to trust that our miracle is waiting to connect with somebody else's. I mentioned in Amy's story, in our story, that the speaker spoke over Amy and said, you will have children, but it's not going to be the normal way. Can I tell you it was not the normal way? We, we desperately wanted kids. We, 
We were told there's, a, there's unexplained infertility. Can't explain why you can't have kids. So we went through the process of, of doing treatment. And so we did our first IVF cycle, and the only embryo we had was our beautiful Rosie, our Rose Princess. And so we thought maybe that was it. That was the gift that God had given us. And we tried again, and we still couldn't fall pregnant. So we, we decided to go again. Paid for another cycle of IVF. And Josiah came. But with Josiah was a gift of three frozen embryos. Didn't have any in the first cycle, but in the second we did. Crazy, weird, I know. Our complicated story. We call them our frozen chosen. <laughs> and we thought, you know what? We'll go back and we'll complete our family because every... Each one of those was life and a child. and So we were going to go back and go through that process. And we were just about to go back and, and put the, the next embryo in. And we found out that Amy was pregnant with an unexplained pregnancy. I mean, I, I know what happened. We, you know, we, we understand <laughs> how it happened. We just didn't expect it to happen, if you know what I mean. So all of a sudden, we've got Zoe, who means life. But in that process, Amy went through five months of insomnia, which led to deep depression, like the darkest journey of, of her life and our life together. Moved up to Whangarei, not even really wanting to be there. So we're left with this, this crazy, what do we do? What do we do with our frozen chosen? <laughs> what we didn't know is as we were going through our journey, there was another family that was going through theirs. We heard of a family that were trying to have kids like we were. We had these frozen chosen. We knew our family was complete with three. What would we do with our frozen chosen? <laughs> Through a Facebook post, come on, social media is good for something. We heard of this family that desired to have kids and it was just too hard. She was pulling back from, from all of her work, working with kids because it was just too hard because she wanted to have kids and they couldn't. So we heard about it, we reached out to them, they reached out to us, and pretty quickly we realized that there was a miracle that was going to meet in the middle. And we went through the difficult and challenging emotional process of adopting out our embryos to this amazing family, an absolutely amazing family. We will tell the whole story, we're not able to do that quite yet, but you want to see a photo? Our three kids have two beautiful sisters, Tasia in Asia. That's my family. That's my crazy, complicated family. <laughs> Years in the making. Who would have thought that our miracle would meet in the middle? You know what's crazy? <laughs> it's 13 years ago, I wrote my first kid's book called The Rose Princess and the Special Gift. Three years before we had our cycle with the three frozen chosen, I wrote a book about a king who had a daughter, gave his daughter three special gifts with a letter saying, do with this whatever you can. I'll give you these gifts. I know you'll use them wisely. So she goes out, spends the day giving her gifts away. 
gets to the end of the day and the king says, what did you do with my gifts? She says, I gave them away. He says, that's exactly what I hoped you'd do. Years later, after writing that book, we had Josiah and our three frozen chosen, three special gifts that one day maybe we would give away. We were sitting (laughs) in the counselor's office and they were wondering why there was peace in our decision to adopt our embryos out. And in that moment, I only realized that then, sitting in there, I said, I wrote a book for myself. (laughs) I wrote a kid's book for myself to remind me that this is what God wanted to take place in my life. Friends, our miracle might be years away, but it might just meet with somebody else's miracle. We're going to take communion together because I really believe that there's some miracles that are going to take place. There's some miracles that might even meet today that God destined for you to be here, to be sitting next to somebody here today. And in a moment, we're going we're gonna to share. You've got the emblems there online. Please make sure uh, you join us as well. I want to encourage us to pray for one another this morning, to speak life over one another. And you're sitting here maybe and, you, and you're saying, well, this church thing is very new to me. I'm not used to this. Can I tell you, God knew you were meant to be here. There's no doubt in my mind that he planned for you to be here in this moment. And maybe, just maybe, God is going to use the conversation and the prayer that follows to bring change, to bring breakthrough in your life. If you're believing for a miracle today, would you be bold enough to say that to the person you're sitting beside? Would you ask them to pray for you? Would you pray for them? Because when we take communion, we remember what Christ has done for us. We remember, we remember that at just the right time when we were sinners, Christ died for us. At just the right time in history, Jesus came. After 400 years of waiting, the people got the Messiah they were believing for. And this morning as we take communion, as we remember what Christ has done for us, would you remember that Christ's body, the bread, was broken for us, tortured, crucified so that our broken bodies might be healed. If you're believing for healing today, would you receive the gift of healing through communion? So we pray for one another for healing. Maybe it's a a physical, maybe it's a mental challenge that you're, you're going through. Maybe your mental health is suffering. Maybe you're believing for a breakthrough. Will we pray for one another and believe for that together? We remember that as His blood was poured out for us, shed on the cross so that our sins would be forgiven, our sins that were so many. And yet without the shedding of blood, there was no forgiveness of sin, but because Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, poured out His blood for us, our sins could be forgiven. Maybe you pray for one another. Maybe this is an opportunity. The Bible says if we confess our sins one to another, we pray for one another, we will be healed. Maybe this is an opportunity to pray with someone. So you know what? I've got this thing in my life that I just, I just got to tell somebody. I've just got to confess it and pray for one another so that we might be healed. Friends, this is a moment where God wants to work miracles in our lives. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to just take a moment to gather, and then Adrian will come and close our service. Lord Jesus, we remember you this morning. We thank you that you gave it all so that we would have it all. 
Today we believe for the miraculous, but we also rejoice in the suffering and the trials and the waiting because God, maybe it's setting up a miracle that we will be able to give a testimony of your goodness and faithfulness. So today as we pray for one another, as we encourage one another, as we speak life over one another, Jesus, would you be glorified? May the miraculous take place in our midst that we would see the glory of God in this place. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Please take a moment now to pray for one another, encourage one another, take communion together, and then we're going to stand and worship one more time. Praise God. Thank you for listening to this Elam Christian Center podcast. Please subscribe to keep hearing more life-changing messages. For more information about our church, please visit www.elamchristiancenter.org.nz.